After uh, this morning telling you a little bit about where I came from, uh, tonight I'm going to tell you where that led to. So, uh, you know, coming out of the inner city, New Jersey, coming from a, a background where I got involved in gangs and, you know, the, the works, you know, even organized crime, as you heard, it's amazing how God works in a person's life. It really is. Amen. I'm sure if we had, you know, enough time, we could march a person up there one at a time, all, and everyone could share how God has worked in their life. And it's remarkable. I spent the afternoon, I, don't, I saw them come in with a, with a family, and each one shared their experience of how, what had happened in their life, how they found Jesus. And some may have a more specific time, some not, some not even sure when the time, just kind of, you know, grafted into the family of God. And that could happen. You know, my testimony is not my testimony, it's God's testimony, how he worked in my life. It just happened to be that I know when that took place, the exact day. But, that wasn't the end of the story. After I finished, I had a dozen of you come up to me, well, you didn't say how you became an Adventist. Well, have you heard Paul Harvey say the rest of the story? That's what's coming tonight. Let's pray as we begin. Father in heaven, we thank you for your blessings. Lord, I want to share again from my heart how you worked in my life. And Lord, uh, I see the miracles and how you were working. And I know that you're working in the same way in each one here tonight. You're trying to help us to draw close to you, to get to know you personally. And so I pray for your Holy Spirit to guide and direct these words. May they be from on high. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I left you off on April 21st, 1981, accepting Jesus as my personal Savior. But that's not really where it ended. In fact, that's where it began. You know, sometimes we make baptism a graduation, don't we? person has got to achieve all of these things, and now they finally receive their, their BA degree. You know, their Bachelor of Arts, or, or maybe PhD. You know, now they can be baptized. But really, baptism is the beginning, isn't it? You know, and we need to be gentle with people who are coming into the faith. Now, I was, I was one of those fortunate ones. I never had anyone hammer me over the head with a Bible. But after I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, you know the guys that were passing out the literature in the middle of the night? One of them's name was Joe Tobin. The other one was John Voorhees. They were members of a church called the Church of Bible Understanding. It was a Pentecostal church. Now, now that I'm going from Methabaptist Adventist Pentecostal, you know, I, I, you know, I got all these little things mixed in. Well, as it turns out, I decided to call them. I said I would, and I would call them the next day. And I said, um, I want to know. Wow, I saw the light. <laughs> Pentecostal. We're having a Pentecostal experience here. As it turns out, I called them up the next day. I said, I, I want to know where you guys meet. They were only about three blocks from my parents' house in Atlantic City. I said, I'll be there. They lived on Sovereign Avenue, not part of the Monopoly board. So I walked down Atlantic Avenue, turned up to Sovereign Avenue, walked to where they were, knocked on the door, and there were probably a dozen young men and maybe a half a dozen young women. They were all young. They were together worshiping. Now, it was a cool thing, you know, they let me in, they said, come on in. And someone introduced me, you know, that just met me, one of the two. You know, John introduced me to the group, and he said, uh, this is Ed Keys, we just met him last night. 
He just gave his life to Jesus Christ. Everybody said, oh, amen, come on in. We're just about to have prayer. We all knelt down to pray. I didn't know what I was going to say. You know, I knew two prayers, okay? Our Father which art in heaven, hallelujah. I knew that one, and I knew, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to God my soul, okay, if I die before I wake, I pray to God my soul to take. Those are the only two prayers I knew. So they knelt down, I knelt down with them, and everybody started praying at the same time. It was really noisy, but okay, no problem. They can't hear my two prayers, you know, because they're busy praying themselves. So I went through them pretty quick. Everybody else was still praying. So I said, okay, I can do a repeat. No problem there. So I did a repeat and did it a second time. And then I heard them speak in some strange noises. Never heard anything like it in my life. Things that I said sounded like, you know, from an alien movie. I wasn't sure where it came from. But I said, okay, I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to hang in here. And I hung in there as long as I could. And when they were, everybody was finished praying, we got up off our knees. And someone pulled out a guitar and started playing. Started singing some songs. They said, uh, well, Eddie, you're new here. Would you tell us your experience? I said, well, uh, about two days ago, I was in a gang fight. And uh, I was robbing cars. And, you know, I tried to explain to them where I came from. They said, we're so glad you're here. They said, what else do you, what else do you do? I said, besides steal cars and rob people and things like that, what, you know, what, what do you mean? They said, well, uh, do you have any Christian background? I said, yeah, my father's Baptist, my mother's Methodist. Oh, okay, so you know about Jesus. Yeah, of course I do. I've heard of Jesus, the greatest teacher. You know, like I told you, atheist and Christian alike will agree. He's the greatest teacher that ever lived. No one's ever taught greater than Jesus. So I said, yeah, of course I know Jesus. And so we talked a little bit about Jesus. They pulled out some Bibles and we started studying the Bible. They went to John and they stopped at verse 12, John chapter 1, verse 12. And they read a very familiar verse called, well, John 1, 11, they, they put special attention to. He came to his own and his own what? Received him not. And then they said, verse 12, but as many as received them, what's the rest of it? To them he gave the power to become children of God. I said, wow, power. I was so excited about it. And we studied the Bible together for a little while, and I left. Came back the next day. Every day they were studying, studying the Bible. Turns out I, I was so amazed at this. And they were all young people, early 20s. So I've never seen a group like this. Turns out they said, we're going to go to the Philadelphia, someone in here from Philadelphia, go to the Philadelphia Lamb House. That was like the headquarters for the Church of Bible Understanding. So I said, cool, can I go? Sure, we want you to be there. Went to this big meeting, and got, when we got to this big meeting, they were all young people. I said, I've never seen anything like this. There was one guy, you know, he was an old, old guy compared to me at 20. He was like 40 years old, you know. And I looked around and said, what? We got a 40-year-old, and all the rest of them are in their early 20s, teens, 20s. I said, where are the, you know, you expect kind of a mix, you know, some gray hair, some no hair, some, you know, young kids, little kids, you know, it was just young people. And I said, this is kind of odd. Well, it turns out we spent some time, you know, I spent some time praying and studying with them, and, you know, they seemed like they were pretty sincere, but I didn't know really for sure what they believed in. It just seemed like too many people at age group, I thought, you know, I wonder if they're a cult or something, you know? So I decided I would go back to my roots. I went back to my father's Baptist church. 
Went down to Chelsea Avenue in Atlantic City, went to his Baptist church, went in and listened to the preacher. And what do you think he preached on that day? Hell. Now, if you ever want to hear a sermon on hell that will scare you to death, you need to go to a Southern Baptist church. He was preaching, and it was cold out, and I was sweating like I was going to die. He made hell as fiery as you can possibly imagine. And he was serious about it too. And I was shaking. I said, well, I will never do another thing bad as long as I live. He scared that, well, you know, he was preaching about hell, right? So he scared it out of me. I said, I'm going to be good the rest of my life. Wrong motivation, right? So I said, oh, I'm not sure I want to go back there. Went back home. I said, Dad, your preacher, boy, he's loud, but... He loves that subject of hell, and I'm not sure I want to go back there again. So then I went to the Methodist church, my mother's, and they were in transition between pastors, so one of their leaders, one of their lay leaders, preached that day, and he was probably as dry as the hills of Gilboa. I've never heard a preacher, you know, so monotone in my life, but he seemed like a nice guy. I went up, shook his hand, said hi to him, talked to him, and so forth, but I said, I'm not sure I want to go back there. So then I did some church shopping. Interestingly enough, the group, remember the Church of Bible Understanding? That was the first one that came to me. Interestingly enough, their leader got indicted on drug running charges. So I was glad I didn't stay with them very long. He was using these teenagers, capturing their minds, sending them up and down, 95 from Florida to New Jersey, to get drugs. They thought they were carrying Bibles. Think about that. He was sending them to Florida, pick up a load of Bibles. They would come back, and some of them would get caught by the state troopers, highway patrol, whatever, and get arrested. They didn't even know what they were doing. They were very sincere. Well, as it turns out, I said, okay. You know, all of these, and it was in the Atlantic City Press. It was in the newspaper. I said, wow, how in the world could this possibly happen? But I said, I know what I'm going to do. Just read my Bible, study my Bible. God loves us wherever we are, but I do know His Word is truth. So I'm going to study this Bible. I'm going to get to know it personally. Well, that group would go out and pass out literature. You know, the remnant of that group. There were a few of them that stayed around after the the, uh, group broke up. And they would go up and down the boardwalk passing out literature. So I called them up. I said, hey, I'd love to go with you. Okay, we want you to be a part of this. And we'd pass out literature all up and down the boardwalk. Now, when you're very new in the faith or very new as a Christian... You know, you still have some rough edges. Have you heard that? So that's why I tell you, elders, leaders, pastors, be gentle with new people. So we went out passing out literature. I had no idea what to say. I'd hand up one of those tracks. Remember those tracks I told you about that had the picture of Jesus holding the lamb? Pass them out. And I'd say, here's something for you to read. Uh, and then I'd go to someone else. Here's something for you. Uh, 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 you know, and I'd have a hard time saying it because I was kind of nervous. And then they told me, he said, hey, Eddie. We got an idea. Why don't you be our featured speaker tonight? I said, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm brand new. I just barely, they said, we would like it. Just just get up there and, and tell your story. I had memorized. John 3, 1 through 16. That was my entire sermon. I got up. They, they have a little place in Atlantic City on the boardwalk. They have different little, like, alcoves on the boardwalk place. You can go up and speak. If you want, you can do whatever you want to. You can go up and do a magic trick if you want. So I went up there with my little group, and I started talking about Jesus. 
And I read those few verses. It was right next to one of the most notorious casinos in Atlantic City. The Playboy Hotel and Casino. As I was speaking, a drunk is getting thrown out. I could see it in my peripheral vision. Getting thrown out of the casino. He falls onto the boardwalk. He gets up. And the security guards are saying, if you come back, we're going to have you arrested. And he walks right toward where I was talking. At that point, I was down to about verse 15. I continued. I said, oh, boy, I've got to finish this quick. First guy, I so love the world. He gave his only begotten. Because I didn't know what this guy was going to do. And sure enough, he walks over into the crowd. And he points up at me, looks me in the face and points at me. Preacher! And I said, well, that's the first time I've ever been called that before. Preacher! God came to condemn the world. What do you have to say about that? I was not a preacher, not a theologian, not a Bible student. I was a brand new Christian, just walked out of a street gang two days ago, or very recently. And I was like, what in the world do I say? It's amazing how God works, right? It's unbelievable. I left off at verse 16. Anyone know what verse 17 says? My eyes just fell down on my Bible. And it says, for God did not send his world, our son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but that through him he might be saved. I looked at that and I said, whoa, thank you, Lord. And I just read the verse. And I told the guy, I said, what do you have to say now? You know, I remember. I'm still a little rough edges. And he looked at me, well, I don't know. And he walked away. We continued passing out literature for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then finally I saw a brochure in the mail for a revelation seminar. I saw this thing. Well, first I saw it in the newspaper. And my sister said, hey, Eddie, what do you think about going to this? And I said, Gail, I'm not sure. You know, um, there's some crazy people out there. I'm not sure we want to go to it. And I said, look at those pictures. They look crazy. Weird looking things. And and she goes, well, yeah, but doesn't this, doesn't, isn't this attractive to you? I said, I'm not sure I want to go. Then a day or two later, I got a brochure in the mail. Same seminar. And I looked at it, and I opened it up, and there were three subjects that looked really good to me. The Antichrist. I said, oh, I always wanted to know what that was. The Mark of the Beast. Wow, that sounds good. The United States and Bible prophecy. Okay, so I circled those three. They were night 27, 28, and 29. Well, here's what happened. When night 28, you know, 27, 28, 29 came, I went and found some of those guys that were part of the Church of Bible Understanding. They had no place to go now because their church was shut down. I said, hey, why don't you go with me to a meeting? One of them had a van. So we'll take your van because my car wasn't big enough to carry much. So we, we took off, drove down to a little church, or I should say a, a fire hall near a little church. Went into this fire hall, and here this guy is preaching. He had an accent like my dad. He was from Tennessee, and he was preaching God's Word, and I was listening to him. I said, this sounds good. I brought 12 people with me that night. His crowd, after the 12 came in, his crowd was about 25. I doubled his attendance with my friend. Came in and sat down. The first one of those meetings was the Antichrist. He's preaching on the Antichrist. And he probably, this preacher probably said 150 times, well, if you haven't been here for the first 26 meetings, you may not understand all of this. He was really worried. When the meeting ended, 
And then I shook the people's hands, you know, the ones that gave us a Bible. It was an It Is Written Study Edition Bible. It was really cool. I got a free Bible. I said, this is great. Now I got three Bibles, you know, because I took one from my dad's shelf, the one I bought in Jersey City, and now this one. So I went home with this Bible. I was really excited. Came back the next night. I'm sure he didn't expect us to come back the second night. Brought the same 12 people with me. We go back in. We sit down. Same thing. Again, if you weren't here for the early meetings, you may not understand this. When he finished the meeting, I went home that night, and my dad said, well, what are you getting out of those prophecies, seminars, boy? And I said, well, they're really good, Dad. You should come with me. My dad said, I ain't interested. I got my own church, and that's all I'm interested in. Okay, Pop, no problem. He goes, what are you talking about tonight? Was it good? I said, yeah, it was good. I said, you know, he did a really good job. You know, he really uses a lot of the Bible. He said, well, anything you thought was strange. I said, well, I could tell he wasn't really too keen on the Catholic Church. Other than that, he seemed like he was doing well. And my dad, who's a hard-shell Baptist, said, well, that sounds pretty good. Maybe I'll come with you tomorrow. And long story short, he didn't. I came to the next meeting. He only had one more meeting after the U.S. and Bible prophecy, which was the unpardonable sin. That was his last sermon. When we started to go out, he shook our hands. He talked to us. He said, listen, we're going to do a follow-up seminar. I said, what's that? He said, we're going to talk about all the, the teachings of the Bible prophecies, you know, what it means to pray, have a devotional life, who Jesus is. We're going to cover it all. I said, that sounds good. We came to this follow-up seminar. By the way, if you're an evangelist, you know, those of us who've done meetings, you always wonder who was baptized in a meeting. In his first series, no one. But we brought, the 12 people I brought with me when he finished his follow-up series, seven of us were baptized. That's how I became a part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, I fought him every step of the way. Now, I'll be honest with you, you know, I gave him a hard time. When he said the Sabbath was the seventh day. It was a memorial of creation. It shows really who Jesus is. You get a great picture of Jesus by understanding the Sabbath. I, I told him, well, okay, isn't that Sunday? Isn't Sabbath Sunday? No, no, they're two different days. So I said, well, haven't the days been changed? You owe me 1582 and all the rest, of, you know, all those things. I said, well, yeah, but how can we be sure? And he went on and gave me all this chronology and astronomy and all the rest of it. And I fought him on it, but then after a while, I started thinking about it. And I said, that makes sense. You'll get a calendar. Saturday's the seventh day. Okay, no problem. He goes, wow, that's interesting. You fought me. Now you're ready to jump in the tank. I fought him on a whole bunch of different levels. But what was really interesting was, right about the time, just before I, I you know, ended up ba- getting baptized with that group, which was probably a week or two after his meeting ended, just before that happened, there was a cult awareness seminar coming to town. I decided I would go to this cult awareness seminar. First night, they talked about Mary Baker Eddy, Christian Scientology. Second night, they talked about Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, the LDS Church, the Mormons. Next night, they talked about uh, Victor Hutte, they, they talked about the Jehovah's Witness. Guess what they talked about the fourth night? The Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, I listened to them talk and so forth, and they went on, and they said, well, you know, the, the Adventists follow, you know, these strange prophecies. They set dates and all this other stuff. And I said, I've been going to a seminar. I think those guys are Adventists because they go to church on Saturday. I wasn't even sure who they were yet. But 
I said, well, tell me, what do they believe? The, the preacher who had a Ph.D. in something said, well, Adventists teach that there are you know, people that walk around the moon and, you know, that look like Quakers and, you know, or uh, Shakers. Or, you know, he had all these. And I said, oh, really? I said, I haven't heard that. He goes, yeah, and they've got all, all kinds of strength. They follow William Miller, and he was a, a bonehead. You know, you can't, fight, you can't go by that and all this other stuff. I hadn't heard any, any of that from the seminar I had gone to. I went back and I asked the preacher. I said, what do you know about William Miller? Was he a Seventh-day Adventist? No, no, he was never. But he was an Adventist. In fact, he started an Advent movement. People, he got people believing in the second coming again and started, oh, okay, well, that's fine, you know. I said, well, what do you know about people walking around the moon that are dressed old-fashioned like Dutch Amish, you know? And he said, um, that one I've never heard. He said, we've been accused of a lot of things, following, you know, this, that, whatever, but we've, I've never heard us being accused of saying there are people walking around the moon. So I said, oh, okay, all right, fine. I listened to him when he finished his presentation. I said, okay, just to be sure, I'm going to go to the Baptist church again. Went back to the Baptist pastor. He had a degree on his wall from Duke University, doctorate degree, uh, doctor of divinity. I went and I said, tell me something. What day is the day that God set aside for worship? He said, "Um, have you been studying the Bible recently? I said, yes, I have. He said, um... What do you think is the day of worship? And I said, well, from my study of the Bible, I find hundreds of scriptures that say the seventh day is the day that we're supposed to worship. He said, well, I'll give you two verses. He gave me 1 Corinthians 16.2. We talked about that. And he gave me John chapter 20. And so he gave me these two verses. I said, well, listen, I'm not a theologian, but I look at John chapter 20, and it said those people were gathered together on the first day of the week, scared to death, hiding for fear of the Jews. Doesn't sound like they were having a worship service. And then when it went to 16th it says, sounds like they're collecting, gathering stuff. Doesn't sound like they're having a worship service. He goes, you know what? He said, there's no way I could prove Sunday worship. There is no way I could prove you should be worshiping God on Sunday. You should worship God every day, is what he said. I said, I agree with that. He said, but what day did God set aside? He said, the Sabbath. He said, you go ahead and find the Seventh-day Adventist church if you want to worship God on the right day day of the week. Think about that. So I went back to the other group, was baptized in June of 1982, became a Seventh-day Adventist, and I've never looked back. Now, I have to tell you, there were some strange things about Adventists that, you know, I had never heard before. You know, in the Sabbath school class, for instance, they were teaching. I'd come in there. I was so excited. You know, I walked in that church with a gang jacket on, you know, but the people treated me so nice. I, a testimony to how you can really, really worship together with others. I walked in there. My, I came, came in with my jacket. They hugged me. They, they, you know, New Jersey too. You know, tough New Jersey. They're hugging me, welcoming me, friendly. I sit down. I, they say, well, this Sabbath school teacher, you'll like this guy. He has more discussion. Or this one has more lecture or whatever. So I went and sat down in this classroom and I'm listening. And after I finished, you know, about three weeks of Sabbath school classes, I thought, you know what, I want to ask them. You know, they kept talking about Sister White. I wanted to ask them who Sister White was. I wanted to say hi to her. This lady's amazing. (laughs) Everybody loved her. They all talked about her. So I said, can you introduce me to Sister White? The guy smirked. He said, I don't think so. She died in 1915. I said, oh, sorry. You know, but 
Everybody talks about her. Sounds like she's really cool. Well, I can introduce you, but I'll have to do it through books. The only book he had with him was the book Evangelism, which is a compilation, you know. And he handed me, he said, start with this one. So, I mean, I, was an ad, I wasn't even baptized yet. I was just going to church. And I started with the book Evangelism. I got to teach people how to come to know Jesus through this book Evangelism. So I start reading it. Come back the next week and they had a whole bunch of books for me. They gave me the whole Conflict of the Ages series. They wanted me to have this. The problem was, you know, there were, this is, these are very conservative times. They dressed up. They said, we want you to go on the platform and give a testimony. So they said, but, you know, you really can't come in the painter's overalls and a gang jacket. You know, we'd like you to wear something a little nicer. So I said, okay. So they went out and got me a suit, a tweed suit. This is hot, humid New Jersey. I said, are you kidding, a tweed suit? I walked in the church with it. It didn't quite fit right. I got long, I had 37 sleeves, you know. I walked, the, sle- the sleeves are up to here. I walked in the church, I, church, I gave a little testimony and so forth. And I said, do I have to wear this thing, you know? They said, and one of the elders, yes. One, the other elder, yeah, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. So, you know, there was kind of a little disagreement between the two. But when I first came to that church, I'll never forget, you know, after two or three weeks, when I was baptized, we were baptized in a pond. There were five others, 12 people were baptized that day. Baptized in a pond, and I remember going down in the water, coming up out of the water, and the pastor's name was Alan Fine, telling me, you know, you remind me of Timothy. And I said, I don't know who Timothy is. And he said, Timothy from the Bible. I said, oh, yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah, I remember that book, Timothy. He said, Timothy was a young man who wanted to serve the Lord. He said, I hope someday you'll dedicate your life so completely you'll serve the Lord. I said, I hope so too. And sure enough, after I came out of that baptism, I thought, this is an amazing thing. What a wonderful church. People that follow the truth and love the Lord. You can't go wrong. Isn't that a combination for success? I said, what a wonderful thing. They invited me to a guy's house for lunch. You know, they had this, you know, potluck, they call it, in the Adventist church. And and at first, I thought, yeah, it really was luck, you know. Yeah, I wasn't raised on veggie food. I came in, and they had these burgers. And they said, they're veggie burgers. I said, what in the world? What kind of cow produces a veggie burger? And so they said, well, give it a shot. You might like it. I tried it. I did the best I could to hold it down. I really did. And they said, okay, I'll live with it. You know, this, you know, they got everything else right. They must have this right too. And so they were sharing with me these different principles of health and so forth. And I learned a lot from that little church, that group. And I was just absolutely amazed at how God used them to help me, you know, get closer to him. But here's what was amazing. They were a little bit shy of their community. So I said, listen, I go down to Boardwalk every single night and tell people about Jesus. Why don't you guys come with me? Whoa. Okay, we'll go with you. So we're walking down the boardwalk. I took about a dozen of them walking down and passing out literature. I printed my own brochure. I mean, my own tracts. Basically, just a Bible verse and a picture of Jesus. And we're passing them out all over. And these guys would follow me along. They said, well, we're glad Ed's here. He'll protect us if something goes wrong. You know? so, and they were really nervous. But they were, you know, after a while, they got a little loose, and, you know, a little more careful. And one of them got real creative, saw a couple walking together. Hey, here's something to read about love. You know, and handed to them, you know, different, handed to the couple and so forth. And we're going down the boardwalk and we come across this, you know, this kind of mean, grumpy looking guy. 
And he takes a track from one of the little ladies that was with me, crumbles it up, throws it on the ground, and says, I don't need any of it. I need money. And I walked over and I said, you know, her name was Mildred. I said, Mildred, let me take care of this one, okay? I said, you're going to pick that track off the ground. You're going to rub out the wrinkles. You're going to put it in your pocket. And you're going to go home and read it, right? And he looked at me and goes, who are you? I said, let's take a walk. So I put my arm on him. We walked together. I said, you go back there and pick that track up. I'll beat the snot out of you. <laughs> this is called witnessing in a different light, you know. So he came back, picked the track up off the ground, put it in his pocket, walked away. That night when we went back to church, they had their hot Roma, and they were sitting together and said, wow, that was a fun experience. Let's do that again. And little Mildred, who was probably 88 years old at the time, said, oh, and, and Ed was so nice to this man, he got him to pick the track up off the ground. That was my early Adventist experience. It wasn't long after that, I had a pastor who said, you know, Ed, you should think about formal ministry. You know, I had, I had, be, I was a, kind of a mechanic. You know, that was one of the trades I was involved in. But then I started studying to be a paramedic. I wanted to be a paramedic. I figured I could save people's lives while I'm telling them about Jesus. But this one pastor came along and said, "You know, you really should go into pastoral ministry." I said, "I don't think I could do that. I have to study Hebrew, Greek, all this other stuff." I said, "I'm not sure. You know, when they get my transcript from Dickinson High School, they're going to say, you know, call the police. They're not going to say let him in, you know." So he said, "Don't worry about it. I know people at, at you know different colleges." So he had someone say, you know, took all my information, sent a uh, application to Atlantic Union College, application to Columbia Union College application to Southern Missionary College at the time, and to an application to Andrews University. The first one that came back was Columbia Union College. I said, wow, they're interested in considering me. Okay. So I drove down, met with the religion chairman, and the, you know, talked to him about who I was and so forth, and they gave me a Bible aptitude test. I thought, oh my goodness. I, you know, I even missed things like Daniel, and you know, I put down... Job was in the lion's den because I learned his name was Job. You know, I, I missed so many easy questions. You know, I was brand new, just learning about the Bible. And the guy said, well, what's your background? I said, well, it's kind of Baptist methods, but, you know, I, I, I was out of the church for many years. He said, well, you know, just study the Bible. And the, the head of the department said, just study the Bible. You put three, four chapters a day in the Bible, you'll come back and you'll feel differently. And I thought, they're not going to accept me then. So basically he's telling me, you know, brush up and come back. Well, sure enough, eh, about four or five months later, just before, in the summer, just before school was getting ready to start, I, I went back, took the aptitude test. I mean, I, I didn't miss a single question. I mean, it was unbelievable. If you study the Bible, God will bring those things to your memory. And so I, I passed this test, and then I walked down. I still remember this as long as I live. I walked down from, you know, that was Wilkinson Hall where they met with all their people. And then I was to walk down to the religion building and meet with the different professors and so forth, talk to them, you know, get ready, find out what classes I need to take for the fall semester. When I got to the religion building, it was three buildings away, I saw this big sign, HMS Richards Hall. And I said, well, you know, he's a pioneer in the Adventist church, obviously. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know Adventism. I walked in. I'm looking around for this British battleship on the wall. 
you know, do they have a do they have a model of it somewhere? You know, and and one of the people came out. What are you looking for, sir? I said, I'm looking for the battleship. What battleship? You know that the building's named after. She goes, Oh no, no, it's not. It's named after a preacher. I said, Wow, that's a cool name for a preacher. He's named after our British battleship. That's really, you know. So I went back, met with the religion department, had a great time with those people. I said, I can't wait to come. The first, when I first got to uh, Columbia Union College, I needed a job. I said, I can't afford taking out loans. I said, I'm going to work. I work security. I was a night watchman. I worked from tw- uh, 11 to 7 in the morning. I worked grounds, dug ditches, mowed lawns. I worked everywhere. The Potomac Conference mover, I'd call them up and say, hey, when you're ready to move someone into this area, I'll come over and I'll load trucks. I did about everything I could possibly do to work my way through college. I had an amazing experience, but during that time period, I received a, a note from a friend, to, to, um, one of the, it was the personal ministries director of the New Jersey Conference, and he said, you know, there are some believers in Atlantic City. You don't have to go all the way to the church I was going to. He said, you know, there's some believers there that you can worship with who are Seventh-day Adventists. So I called this phone number. And it turned out, you know, I listened to the voice on the other end, and I said, wow, this person sounds really sincere. Turns out the woman's name was Lillian. I'm married to her now, so I'm going to give you the end of the story. And I said, I'd love to come to your Bible study. She had a Bible study every Friday night with the young people of the Adventist church there. I went to her house, sat down. I, I was still wearing some, you know, tough-looking clothes. Well, actually, I had my football jersey on the first time I saw her. I still fit in it. I don't think I fit in it anymore. But knocked on the door. She let me in. We talked. I became a part of her Bible study group, and it was one of those things. She said it was love at first sight. And I thought, I'm in Atlantic City. I just hit the jackpot, you know. So we ended up dating, and our dating consisted of Bible study, prayer, and passing out literature. She, it was the most incredible dating experience of your life. Because she, of my life, you know, if you ever had an experience like this, you will bond when you have people curse you out for your faith and stuff like that. You get a lot closer. And you become a lot more protective of each other as well. Well, I remember, you know, we were very close. I met, I met a fellow in her church. His name was Coy. And in the summers, we'd work together. We were working at a gas station together at one point. I'd just do some oil changes, things like that. You know, minor mechanical work. And he worked the pumps and so forth. Coy was a good guy, but he was a nominal Adventist. He came to church. He knew his Bible. So you could be a nominal Adventist and know your Bible. But he really didn't have an experience with God. You could tell he was kind of lukewarm. Well, I decided that you know, I was probably, this was probably my second year at CUC. I was a second year theology student. So my theology was getting better, but I wasn't quite where Coy was. Coy really knew his Bible backwards and forwards. I said, Coy, let's pass out literature. And by this time, I bought Adventist literature. And we were passing out some cool tracks on Daniel 2 and you know, the second coming and all this stuff. So we're going down the boardwalk, passing out literature, and Coy and I are walking together, and I still remember one night, we come up to a street, a little street, um, kind of off the corner of the boardwalk in the inlet section of Atlantic City. I looked down there, and I could see there's a gang down this street. I said, these guys need Jesus. So I looked at Coy, I said, look, there's a gang down there, they're smoking pot, they're passing around, you know, the quart bottle with the brown paper bag that's supposed to the cops 
can't tell what's in it, right? Yeah. So they're passing the bottle around, and they're drinking and smoking. And, and, and I said, Coy, those guys need Jesus. He goes, they sure do. And Jesus is going to have to go talk to them himself because I'm not going down there. I said, Coy, he sent us. We're his ambassadors. He said, you're the one studying for the ministry. I said, yeah, but you've been an Adventist your whole life. You know the Bible better than I do. I said, let's go together. You know, I'll get it started, and then you share the gospel with them. He's going, are you out of your mind? I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. We fought for a little bit about that. And I said, let's go. We're going. I grabbed him, and I said, here we go. And he goes, you know, there's a verse in the Bible about presumption. Okay? He said, I want to share with you something. David said, keep me back from presumptuous sins. I said, is it a sin to share your faith with someone? He goes, I'm going to have a hard time trying to get out of this. He said, okay, let's go. So we went together, walked down the boardwalk, walked down, and we had the literature. We gave each person a track. You know, a guy, guy actually asked me to hold his joint while I handed him the track. So, you know, we switched, he gave it back, and went around the group, big circle, probably 25 guys. We started to walk away, and Coy says, I survived. We start to walk away, and some guy grabs us, both of us. He goes, who do you, blank, 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 think you are coming into our territory? I ought to kill you right now. Coy was a little nervous. Um, I wasn't quite as nervous because Coy was in front of me. So I said, Coy, tell them why we're here. Coy says, it's your fault. We came down. You tell them why we're here. And so I looked at him and I said, listen, we're, we're here, you know, on a mission to tell you who Jesus is. We're on a mission from God. Now, I stole that from a movie called The Blues Brothers. But I said, we're on a mission from God. And so they looked at it and said, you can't come into our neighborhood. We ought to cut your throat. The guy pulled his blade out of his pocket, popped the button, switchblade, put the knife up to Coy's chest. I still remember. Coy's, you remember, there's a verse in the Bible about a king whose knees smote together. Do you remember that? Well, Coy's knees were smoting together. And I looked at the guy, I said, you better put that knife down. He said, what are you going to do? I said, listen, you know, I'm brand new in this faith. I don't understand all of it, but I do know God is powerful. And if I was to say, God, strike this guy down with lightning right now, he'll do it. He'll disintegrate. (laughs) And he says, that can't be true. That's impossible. I said, listen, Coy, step back. I don't want you to get hit with the lightning. Now step back. So Coy backed up a few feet, and I said, do you want me to start praying now? And the guy said, "Uh, no. I said, you better put that switchblade away because it looks like a lightning rod. So Ed and I put it away and sat down. And then Coy said, let's get out of here. So he started to run away, and another guy chases up onto the boardwalk. And Coy's like, I'm going to die. You know, I wanted to have a wife and a family and, you know, and all of and this guy comes up there, and we sit down, and we talk together. He says, listen, don't let that guy bother you. He's just uh, he's having a bad day. He said, okay, what about you? He said, listen, I need the Lord. He said, I've got a family tragedy. I've got a mess. My daughter, who he didn't really know real well, Ill- illegitimate, you know, but he had this daughter. He said, my daughter has been taken away from me. My wife was just put in jail, but I can't get my daughter because they think, you know, I'm, I have no way to prove that I can provide for her. My father just went in the hospital. He has kidney disease. He's probably going to die in a few months. 
He said, I need God. I said, well, why are you hanging around with those morons out there? You know, you're going to lose your life. And he goes, ah, you know, we're friends. I said, okay, that's fair. Okay, I understand friends. I said, but you need the Lord. And Coy started sharing, and then Coy came alive. He started sharing the gospel with him, who Jesus was. We prayed with this guy under the boardwalk in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Gave his heart to Jesus Christ. I had experiences like that over and over and over. And then when I graduated from college, I said, I'm not sure I really want to do this. You know, my friends are graduating from college with all these degrees, you know, summa cum laude and all this. I graduated, come help me, Lordy, you know. So I was like, you know, I'm really, you know, am I going to be a pastor? Well, I got three calls. Actually, I had four. But um, one of them said, well, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to send you to, to uh, Andrews for your master's first, and then we'll bring you back. The other three said, we want to put you into a church district. Okay. So I went to my first district, started preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And you want to know something? It has been a wild ride. One of the coolest things. I thought my life before I became a Christian was pretty exciting. I have never had been so blessed and filled with joy and happiness than when I became a Christian, when I gave my life to Him. It's the greatest thing you could possibly do. God will fill you with joy and excitement and happiness. Amen? I know the kids get out at 8.30, so I'm going to wrap this up. But I want to share something with you. Acts chapter 22, verse 15 says this. For you will be His witnesses to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Who was that said to? Okay, who said it? I'm testing you. Paul. Okay, right? This is Acts 22. An incredible passage. Uh, God speaking to Paul. This is Paul's testimony. God speaking to Paul and said, hey, you're going to be my witness. You're going to do incredible things. Just be willing to dedicate your life to me. I want to close with a story. You know, I've had the privilege of preaching in Thailand, the Philippines. I love the. If you ever get a chance to go to the Philippines, you will love it. The best mangoes in the absolute world. There's nothing like it. Even a jackfruit. And you want to know something? Don't be afraid of the smell of the durian, okay? It, it can be intimidating, but it tastes like ice cream. And it's a fruit, okay? Good stuff. I've been in Cuba, I've been in Mexico, I've been in various parts of the world, the Middle East, but the best, most amazing, miraculous meeting I ever had was when I went to Russia. I was there for seven weeks. This was pre-Sharehem. Sharehem, they go over now, they spend three weeks in a, in a place, or two weeks, three weekends. Back then it was seven weeks. And I said, wow, it's a long meeting. I'm going to be away from my kids for a long time. But that's okay. I said, we'll, we'll see what the Lord does. First night I get to Russia. We go, we get on a train, we go to Zelenograd was the name of the place. I know someone in here is Russian, he probably knows where that's at. Zelenogradsk, I guess is how they pronounce it. The green city. And it really was. Lots of trees, beautiful, you know, nice environment. They put me in a flat on the ninth floor of this uh, building. Uh, I had to be in the highest floor because I was the team leader. I was the evangelist. Everybody else was in different floors. Actually, everybody else was in different buildings. I don't know why they did that. You know, they felt like, you know, this is an honor, this is respectful to me to put me in my own building on this floor. Well, it turns out I come in this building, nice nice apartment, two two bedrooms and so forth. You even have TV, you know, all the, you know, amenities you need, a stove and all the rest of it. I go in there and I say, wow, this is going to be fun. I'm going to enjoy these meetings. 
I go to sleep, and it's my tradition. I've done this since I was a teenager. I sleep in a pair of gym shorts. That's, that's, I don't use pajamas or anything. So I'm asleep in my gym shorts, and I hear someone knocking on the door. This is probably around 1 o'clock in the morning. And I said, well, I thought they were going to be back until like 6, 7 in the morning. They were going to let me try to get some sleep. So I go to the door in a little peephole, and I look out. There's three guys that look like Alexia, you know, the weightlifter. I'm going, oh, mercy. And one of the leaders of that group, the pastor said, don't open the door for anyone. Even if they were wearing a police uniform, do not open the door. So I looked through the peephole and I said, okay, I'm not going to open the door. Not for these guys. So I went went back, went back to bed and I hear the banging on the door. I said, it's going to be hard to go to sleep but these guys keep banging on the door. I said, eventually they'll go away. Next thing I know, I hear the door opening. So I said, yeah, I'm an American, but this is post-Cold War. It's the early 90s. I think I'll be okay. So I go running in the other room, and these guys are grabbing, starting to grab stuff and put, you know, I'm going, okay, I'm getting robbed. You know, I grew up in New Jersey. I know what that's like. It's no problem, you know. So, but I had $7,000 in a pocket in my garment bag, and they're going through all the closets. That was the team money for the seven weeks we were going to be there. And I thought, oh, mercy, if they see that, it's going to be a fight. I'm going to, hang, I'm going to do everything I can. That's the Lord's money. I'm going to hang on to that. So sure enough, they go in the closet and they start going, hey, get away from that. You know, what are you doing? That's my stuff. And the guy's talking. And, and I learned one word real quick, Yanopani Mayu, I don't understand you. So yeah, I, I said, Yanopani Mayu. And the guy says, uh, Amerikanski? I said, da, da, Amerikanski. That's me, Amerikanski. He goes, I speak little English. I said, fantastic. What are you doing in this room? And he looks at me. I speak little English. And I said, all right, all right, that's fine. We've established that. Why are you here? I speak little English. I was like, all right, okay. This ain't going anywhere. I don't know what's going to happen here. But they they went through my suit bag but never found that $7,000. They disappeared. And I'm going, what just happened? I, you know, this is, again, no cell phones, no, you know, it was impossible. I didn't know how to communicate. All I know is that night I put a chair up against the door for the rest of the night. And I said, I'm just going to wait it out. Next morning, my translator, the pastor, a couple of our team members meet, meet me at my room. And, um, you know, I tell them what happened the night before. And one of the, one of the leaders there said, these guys, it was their apartment before you came. The stuff they came to get was theirs. It's their TV, their pots and pans, their stuff. So they were just taking their own stuff. You didn't get robbed. I said, well, that's good to know. Why were they going through my bags, though? Well, they thought maybe American might have some American, might have a Yankees hat or something, you know, something American. I said, oh, okay, well, I'm glad nothing bad happened. Turns out they came back a second night. This time we had established a way to communicate. I told them, you wait right here. I ran down to the phone. There was a phone, a phone booth. Ran down to a phone booth, called one of my translators. They got there in about 15 minutes. They came by, and we, they talked this out. They were pretty upset because they rented that apartment to me at $300 a month. Came out to, you know, a little under $600. They were paying $20 a month for that apartment and got kicked out so that they could, so they could rent it to me. I said, well, that's not fair. I'd be upset, too. I feel like I should be on their side. And this is wrong. I said, let's give them the apartment back. I said, better yet, let's do this. Let's say we're leaving 
and then pay them for the apartment. Would they like 600 American dollars? They said, absolutely. And that's what we did. And guess what? I held my evangelistic meetings there. These three guys came to my meetings. They were so happy. They, in fact, they gave tithes before we even brought them into the church. I have one experience there that will last throughout eternity, I think. I remember I preached on the Sabbath. Actually, I preached um, Friday night about Sabbath and creation. Sabbath morning. I'm getting up to preach. I was going to give my testimony. The part I told, part one, what I told you this morning. I go to get up to preach, and uh, there's a lady there, you know, calling me. Really wants to, seems very intent on wanting to talk to me. So I come over, sit down with her. I had two translators. One's name was Vladimir. The other one was Anna. You know, and Anna and Vladimir were sitting one on one side, one on the other. And the lady's saying, I have a gift for you. I want to give you a gift. And so she said, well, thank you very much. You know, and the Russian people are very generous, even though they don't have very much. So I was thinking, you know, I have been given several things. They heard I had a daughter. They gave me one of those stackable Matryoshka dolls and a dress and stuff for my son and all. And I felt bad taking it. But this lady said beside me, well, I have something for you. And so my Vladimir, he was a little more stoic. He said, don't take it. I said, well, is it a, it's a the lady's saying it's a Russian custom. Yeah, but, but don't take it. I don't trust it. I said, well, Vladimir, we're going to offend the lady. She's coming to our meeting. She said, well, you can be, you know, crazy if you want, but she wants to give you something. So she had wrapped in a gauze pad an apple sliced apple. So she handed it to me. I, I said, thank you. I put it in my suit pocket. And she goes, no, 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 no. She starts yelling. And Russian's kind of a strong language, you know. You know, like in Spanish, you say, yo te amo. You know, it's real sweet. Russian's like, ah, 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 ah. you know. So I was like, what is she saying? What is she saying? Saying you need to eat it now. Our custom in this community is you eat it now. It shows, you know, honor to the person that gave it. Okay. So I took one slice of apple, ate it, put it in my pocket, went to the back room to prepare for my sermon. I could hardly breathe. My tongue swelled up. I was like, what in the world is going on? And my translator's going, uh, I told you not to touch it. You crazy Americans. You think you know everything. So I said, oh, I'm sorry. But I, I could hardly talk. And I felt like I was, I felt like I was having an anaphylactic reaction. I was going to die. So I said, well, what do we do? And one of the elders said, we pray. Okay, makes sense. We knelt down. They laid their hands on me. We prayed. They quoted Mark 16, which says, if you drink any deadly thing, God will deliver you from it. So I went up to preach. Everything cleared up. It was amazing. I felt better than I'd ever felt in my life. Preached my sermon, made an altar call. Hundreds of people came forward. It was just an incredible experience. Afterwards, we met the lady in the back of the church. or the It was a theater. In the back of the theater. And she goes, did you eat the fruit I gave you? You know, through the translator. And I did a little Elijah kind of mocking. I said, yes, it was very good. Do you have some more? And she looked at me, eyes got real big and said, did you eat the fruit? I said, oh, I loved it. It was fantastic. Oh, it felt so good. And do you have some more? Give me some more. I don't know what she put in. It kind of smelled like turpentine. I don't know what it was. But I said, I said, give me some more. Bring me some every night. So every night she'd bring me some poisoned apples. Now, forgive me, but I pretended this whole time that I was eating them. The end of the meeting, she wasn't one that got baptized. But she brought me a bag, a big brown paper bag, and, and wrote a note in English. This is for the preacher that I couldn't kill. 
The bag was filled with Russian cognac. <laughs> okay. I still remember that. I, I said, this is just absolutely amazing. The last night of the meeting, I got to tell you this. The last night of the meeting, we're going to have a baptism on Sabbath. We roll up to the church. You know, I, I get out of the car. My translator, my driver, his name was Yuri. My driver, Yuri, my translator, Vladimir. We go to come into the building, the theater, and it's surrounded by armed guards. And I said, what's going on? And he said, well, pastor, we'll find out. So they walk up, they talk to one of the guards, and they say, well, this is the Bank of Russia. They've secured this building for a special meeting they're going to have tonight and tomorrow. And I said, what? You know, we have a contract. This is our building. This is Russia. Your contract isn't worth as much as a sleeve of toilet paper, okay? You're not going to get anything out of that contract. They want the building. They're going to get it. I said, Vladimir, you tell him that we're here on behalf of God. He has called us to teach, and we have hundreds of people coming, and they're going to be here in a couple of hours, and we need to have this building. He said, I'm not going to tell him that. I'm from Russia. He'll kill me. He might kill you too, you crazy American. I said, well, tell him. What are we going to do? He's going, let's just leave it alone and tell the people when they come, well, you know, we're sorry, the meetings, are, you know, we can't have a meeting tonight. I said, we're near the end. We've got two meetings left. We have to have this meeting. I said, I'll tell him. He said, how are you going to tell him? You don't speak Russian. I said, well, I'm going to pray for the gift of tongues. I went up there and I stood before this guy and I said, I said, door open, me go in, you know, using my English and tried to convince him what I was going to do. He got on the radio. He called someone. I said, you know, I pulled out his radio box. You know, said something. Next thing I know, I said, see, Vladimir, all you have to do is be convinced. He'll share and they'll get let you in. Vladimir goes, I don't believe it's some kind of trick. So, sure enough, a bunch of guards came and they escort me, Vladimir, and Yuri to a little back room, close the door, and tell us if we come and bother them one more time, we'll never be seen from again. They said, have you ever heard of Siberia? I said, I have. I said, but I'm not planning on going there. Then you get out and leave us alone. They closed the door behind them, no lock on the inside, but it was locked. Vladimir's looking at me like, see, you got to send a mess. Why didn't you, why didn't you leave this well enough alone? I said, no, I think God's going to do something. Let's pray. So Vladimir, Yuri, and I knelt down and prayed. Yuri couldn't speak a word of English, but he could speak Spanish. So we kind of, my broken Spanish and his Russian Spanish, you know, and we got together and we prayed. Sure enough, Guy came back in and he says, get out. You know, he had handcuffs. He was going to handcuff us, handcuff us and escort us out. Right behind him came a big Russian woman. She grabs him by the nape of the neck, yanks him out of there, and we're still sitting there stunned. And the next thing we see, secure, armed security guards come back in and he said, you're free to have this building for tonight and tomorrow. Found out later on, she was one of the caretakers of the building. She had been listening every night to the meetings. She wanted to hear the last sermon. <laughs> Amen? We had the most amazing baptism. Well, you know, we baptized, I think it was 180-something people. It was just remarkable. They all wanted me to sign their Bibles. We gave them Bibles. I remember them holding those Bibles. They clutched it like, Wow, you know, many of them, Zelenograd is a uh, technological center of Russia. They build computer chips and all kinds of stuff there. 
And these are highly intelligent people, but they had been deprived of an opportunity to study the Bible. And they were so thankful for that opportunity. And here we are, some of us, we have 20 Bibles in our house, we never read it. Isn't that sad? My challenge to you tonight is to do what Paul was challenged to do. Why are you waiting? Arise. If you've never been baptized, find someone, get baptized. But more than anything, you will be my witnesses. How many of you would just like to say, you know, I'd love to be a witness for Jesus. Would you do that? If you feel that way tonight, let's stand together. We're going to ask Jesus to help us. To help us to serve Him. Father in Heaven, I want to thank You first and foremost for the saving blood of Jesus Christ. I want to thank you that he was willing to die for us on a cross. We can't save ourselves. We know that. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of your glory. And we had the perfect, spotless Son of God come to this earth to die in our behalf. But Lord, now in this room, most of us have already had that experience. If not all of us have had that experience with you where we've said yes to salvation. And so now I want to pray for the second step that you would help us to be your witnesses, your ambassadors throughout the world, through love and kindness, serving our world for Jesus. That's what we want to do. Lord, bless us tonight that we might go back to our homes, our communities, our workplace, our schools, wherever we may be, and be a light for you. We pray in Christ's name.